I swear. Wrestling Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to another exciting episode of the A Squared Circle Wrestling Podcast. Andy Quilden, as always, joined by the incomparable Andy Boy Simmons. Uh, and this episode's a little bit different than the, the norm, isn't it Andy? Yeah, we're on the road, we're on the M25, we're travelling up to um, North London to meet one of the most, at least in my opinion, one of the most important people and somebody I think a lot of people in British wrestling have a lot to thank for Martin Goldsmith. Well, you gave his name away too early there, I feel. Oh, okay. I feel you should have built it up a little bit. So people are like, who? Okay. But it's too late it's now. It's too late now. So yes, we go into interview Martin Goldsmith. So uh, he, of course, is one of the, the people responsible for SummerSlam 92 coming to the United Kingdom. So we hope he's going to tell us that story. We hope he's going to dish some dirt on uh, some of our favourite <laughs> WWF superstars. Yeah. Because that's what we're all here for, because we know that controversy creates cash, and we want to create a lot of it. Yeah. So um, so that's going to be... I, I created a lot of cash this week, didn't I? How did you create a lot well, of I cash? I got my Pro Wrestling Tees uh, commission coming. Your royalty check coming. Yeah, through. I did, yeah. yeah. Landed in my PayPal this week. So very grateful. Paid for um, my Nando's, I just say. So thank you very much to the two people that bought one. Wow. Two. It's not bad, is it? It's, like... it's, not, it's not bad going at all. You're, no. uh, you could be onto something. Yeah. Um, and if you would like to buy one, uh, don't okay. forget www.prowrestlingtees.com forward slash pillar, P-I-L-L-A-R. And I'm adding this as of this week. Uh, for anyone that orders a T-shirt, put your phone number in. I'll give you a call. You know, like Bruce Pritchard does. Cool. I'll give you a phone call. We'll chat about... You're going to have a friend for life. We'll, we'll talk about Rev Pro Summer Sizzler. We'll talk about IPW Battle Royale. FWA 2005. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, all the, all the, all the real um, highs of British wrestling. Cool. Yeah. If that's not an incentive to buy one, I don't know what is. Wow. Mm. Wow. Okay, so, uh, so we're on the way to, to interview Martin Goldsmith, travelling this this storied road or this this road could tell some stories couldn't it oh yeah the, we've travelled up and down this road many times Broxbourne yeah all the times to Broxbourne um, Southbury Leisure Centre Enfield yeah, so, yeah. Had a where cracking, else uh, had a brilliant um, this rivalry is where... with Chris Wilde in Enfield and uh, also this would be the place where uh, you uh, you did that Dirk Feel Good Doctors. Uh, oh yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which we spoke yeah. about in your Greg, your Greg Lambert yeah. uh, rivalries. The real low light, sorry, of my whole time in professional wrestling. Um, so search that one out in the archives, folks. Yeah, I've been listening to something to wrestle with. That's what they say. I listen. Yeah, I listen to it every week. Um, so uh, was this? Where did Adam Mumford have a venue near here as well? Do you remember the tiny little? Uh, like it was like a martial arts hall like you come on yeah so I remember and you had to change in a separate room like so there was like a it was a tiny hall yeah it was and an Enfield the, yeah and the changing yeah. room the changing room was uh, across like you literally went out into the like the back bit which was like a little garden slash car park type back bit into a little another little hall across the rows okay so I never wrestled there I took a training session there which you were there for. Oh, and you felt like... I was literally falling asleep yeah. on the floor, like, because we'd just done... I, I, I wasn't on it the was show. One of Alex, it was uh, a yeah, Universal Uproar, was no, it? No, no, it was one before, National Showdown, the first it, okay. one. So we yeah. got from Coventry, took down the ring, did all the hard work, drove back to Portsmouth to get back to Enfield for, like, 9, and 10 a.m. And then didn't we go to a show from there? 
IPW probably okay yeah yeah so uh, but yeah that that venue we, we, there was many uh, it's where the Keith Myatt and Robbie Brookside rivalry started okay. yeah okay. Um, so that was good yeah anyway what have you been up to uh, so this week I... so we will get to the interview in a bit but yeah, you know, yeah. just for anyone tuning in for the first time you know we like to shoot the shit a little bit before mm-hmm. we uh, before we get there you know have a little personal counselling session we give you the podcast for free every week so we feel the least that yeah. you can do is listen to our woes uh, Friday I did a ring job we got asked last minute to ride the ring for a wrestling show I couldn't find anyone to drive the van so I was like Sod it, I'll do it. I've not done one in ages, and I got to sort of see some some wrestlers that are out on so, the circuit. So, so I say it's like a, it's like Dana White looking for a fight. Which uh, have you have you seen that? No, you, know, you have mentioned it to me, but no, I've never seen it. Oh, hell of a series! It's on. It's available on YouTube. It's a UFC deal, but Dana White is obviously the the promoter of the UFC. He goes around. Um, yeah, no, yeah, I know. Dana oh, okay. White. Well, for anyone listening who doesn't, okay. let's not assume. All right. Yeah. Makes an ass out of you and me, and uh, he goes around and. Uh, he goes to the minor leagues of the old uh, the MMA, and like he, he checks in a town, like he does an activity in the town beforehand. So yours will be probably action figure hunting at Argos or something. Yeah, um, did a bit of that actually. And yeah. then uh, after that, he'll then go and watch some fights and hopefully sign some people up to fight in the UFC. Okay, give people contracts, and he go along with with Matt Serra mm-hmm. um, and and someone else who's. Uh, um, he always has, well it's kind of been a rotating cast uh, I'm not sure who he's doing it at the moment because I've not seen one for a little while um, has he found anyone like really good on it well before? I think uh, well that's where do you know Sage Northcutt no okay well that's where he came from he's like a he's a hell of a good looking man mm. hell of a physique on him yep beautiful man that's how you like him um, and uh, so he's he found him he found uh, Mickey Gall who's oh, the one who beat up CM Punk, Punk. Okay. Yeah, he found him on looking for a fight and he was in looking for a fight where he called out CM Punk. Who, Mickey Gall? Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Um, those were two main ones, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I've not watched any recent. But anyway, that was a long way of saying. That was Andy Boy Simmons looking for a fight. Andy Boy Simmons bought, went to put a re-up in the middle of Essex somewhere. Yeah, and yeah. You, bought, uh, you bought Craig with you as your, I did, your I companion. did. I my friend Craig. That was actually one of the main reasons why I went, was I'd agreed to it. And obviously, if I agreed to it, I was going to do it. But I kind of thought, oh, I'll try and find a driver who'll do it. And uh, then I thought, I oh, know, that'd probably be quite near Craig. So big shout out to Craig. I called Craig, said, you're about Friday. He said, yep. So I said, oh, cool, I'll, I'll, I'll do it then. I'll do the ring. Did he get his I'll hands dirty with a ring? He did. We both did, actually. And to be, be fair... You're feeling all right. To be fair, all the... La- so this is... This, I think, is quite telling in terms of, like, new wrestlers, right? They're all there to help put up the ring. But not many of them want to take it down. They've had their moment of glory. They've had their, you know, their shine... And then they're like, right, it's home time now. I'm going to go home, put my feet up, get a Domino's in. But there was a few there. Uh, Jordan, I believe his name was. Uh, he helped out. He was good. And this other little lad called Ted. He's around the, uh, I don't know if, if, he's, if he's an IPW trainee or something. So shout out to Ted. Cheers, Ted. So that's uh, that's, uh, that's great, isn't it? It's great mm. to hear. Great yeah. to hear that the, the future the future's yeah. bright. There's some, some of them are hanging around. Yeah, it's nice. Um... And, then it, it, and like you say, it doesn't go unnoticed, does it? You no, know, it doesn't, we, no. Like quite, well, it has gone... It's obviously uh, it's obvious that it hasn't because you've given them a shout-out on the podcast, but <laughs> like, <laughs> you're not always going to get a shout-out on the podcast. It might be a, what you seem, what you think to be a thankless task, but believe me when I say it, it gets noted. Yeah, sure, yeah. So, um, so yeah, we like uh, someone who likes to help out, get their hands dirty, and like you say, hang around after the show. Yeah, because obviously everyone's tired after the show, but like it was drilled into us as when we were Mark Soane's trainees, it was like... 
I don't care who you are, what you've done, um, you know, on the show that, that night, uh, because you'd be amazed at how many small-time British wrestlers get an ego over being the main event. Uh, you know, he's like, right, we're all going to go do the ring, and we're all going to go set the ring back up at the training school, no matter what the time, no matter where, where the show is. I can remember coming back from Wales one time, and, uh, you know, you're getting in sort of 3 a.m., and, and then everyone's still, knackered. And it was a hard ring to put up as well, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was like a massive, and, heavy Meccano set. And, um, and I think that uh, that's the thing, isn't it? I think that people need to... I don't know. Some some people don't realise how lucky they have it with our setup. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, we... Uh, we make everything as easy as possible for the guys, don't we? We've sure. got multiple rings. We've got. We don't make people set up late at night. You know, every now and again we have to unload late at night, but like it's not. Not often. It's not often, is it? Yeah. Um, so yeah, basically, we're a great, great crew of people to be around. All round good guys, really. Yeah, look after everyone. So, um, so yeah, what else have you been up to? Anything? Um, no, not like I can remember actually. No. Right, exciting life. Eh? Yeah. Been looking Oh, Poppy. Poppy kind of, that's my baby daughter, she's 13 months old, she kind of took her first step the other day, but her mum didn't see it, so I don't think she believes me. And it doesn't count. Yeah, well, yeah, it was kind of like, didn't see it. yeah, because mummy didn't see it. So. Do you remember the other day when you were like, oh, Poppy stuck her tongue out the other day, and I was like, cool, Calvin does that, and you're like, no, he doesn't. Yeah. Well, he does. Well, Poppy does it all the time, and she does this. Well, that's great. Mm, well, that's, with a noise. <laughs> that's great, but like, you, you literally called me out being like, you're lying. I'm like, no, really, mate, I'm not. Like, <laughs> well, I just didn't teach my baby such rude things at such a young age, so. There you cool. go. All right. How is Calvin? Is he okay? Is he walking yet? Yeah, he's good. No, he's, <laughs> no, he's not walking Oh, right. Yet. Oh, so he's a bit behind. Him. <laughs> <laughs> he's five months old. Um, but he's adorable. Mm. He's adorable. We took him to the... That's what I went, was up to on, on Sunday. I took him to the farm. Yeah. Like, looking at all the animals. And he's got a real lovely laugh. Like, so imagine like the Frank Bruno laugh, but as a baby, like okay. a real high... He's like... <laughs> <laughs> he's like... <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> a bit like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But obviously it's like in a baby voice. Yeah. So well, uh, well, Not the way you just did it. Well, no. It's just, but like, that is the way he does it. Like, <laughs> like kind of a breathy kind of... <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just... It's lovely, it's affectious, it's nice. And you're a proud right. dad. That's I'm a proud, I'm a proud dad. Thing. Family man, mate. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, my pride and joy, my boy. My pride and joy. All right? Yeah. So, uh, what else has been going on wrestling-wise? Uh, Much to report? Have I got anything to report? Oh, we've been working hard on this athletic wear. Okay. The RevPro athletic range. Yep. Um, going well. Mm-hmm. I think I'm hoping we'll have some in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, you said a um, prototype. So yeah, and I, and I hope so as well because so uh, goals. We, we said we we're going to talk about our goals. Oh, and we yes, never did. Cool. Um, so my goal, fitness goals, that is. And like I said, like I've only been. I'm, I'm not going to lie, Andy. Since we last, since we had the conversation where we like we're going to try and be healthy and whatever. I've been to the gym once. Okay. And that was not uh, great, is it? Well, no, but it was yesterday. <laughs> yeah. So you know that's a uh, it's a start, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. So. Um, you know, I'm not planning to have dessert with lunch today. So, Are you not? No, no. Oh, I thought I might, but no. never mind. So, um, uh, and, and I'm really hoping, and it sounds absolutely pathetic, but I'm hoping that this uh, RevPro Athletic gear will give me a kick up the bum that well, I need. Here's something that will give you the kick up the bum, is whoever is wearing it needs to represent it. So, isn't there like a... A some sort of rule. I don't know if, if it would be so obvi- blatantly obviously allowed nowadays, but Abercrombie and Fitch only hire supposedly attractive people. Oh, but I'm not doing that. No, no, no. So my point is, when you're wearing the athletic gear, you need to make it. Look, everyone who wears it needs to make it look good. 
And mm, seeing yeah, as you are, but you are the proprietor. Proprietor. So no, I'm, the, I I disagree. You with need that. to get in so, shape. I'm gonna get in shape, yeah. right? But the point I make, I I want my gear to be for the everyman. Oh, Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so people who are on a journey, you don't have to be like, you know, you can look however you want to look. Yeah. But just be happy. Just be happy, and I want you to feel comfortable in it. You'll be able to lounge around in it. Be able to work out in it. Um, yeah. And cool. if it can help you, like it helps me, more power to you. Because I genuinely believe it will. And I think, basically, I've spoken about it so much, it has to now. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So anyway, my goal is going to be, I, I want to keep it simple. Um, so I'm going to say, I just want to get a, a belt size down, a waist, a waist size down, not a belt size down, a waist size down. Okay. In my trousers. Okay, so... Basically, so all my trousers fit me again. Yeah. <laughs> I want to go back to a 34 yeah, inch a waist. Good. 34, really? Yeah, I was a 36. Oh, I'm, I'm a 32. 36. Yeah, but you've yeah. got a little... Little waist, I've got a little bump but what you, my bad and, leg, and what yeah. you need to remember right is basically I have skinny bottoms of my legs I don't know if anyone's ever scouted out my legs no. but like my my thighs and my bum is big because that's the athletic that the athletic that's a Caribbean in me okay skinny bottoms right so like I so yeah I, I'm wide-hipped okay. but I can still lose a, yeah. <laughs> a jean size Okay. Yep. So that's my that's my goal. What about yours? Okay. So mine. So this is this will sound like really boring for people who aren't like into like gym or weightlifting. So I'll keep it brief. So in 2006, so before I broke my ankle, I trained in a particular way. It's very much strength orientated training. I didn't really realise that's what it was, but that's what it was. And I could bench press for one rep, 160 kilos, which is approximately double double my body weight. <clears throat> and I think last time I tried like what we call one rep max about 140 so I'd like to by Christmas give myself 12 weight I don't know because 20 kilos is actually quite a lot but I'll try to get to 160 again so we're both going to set our goals by Christmas yeah 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 and cool. like I said fo follow our uh, follow our journeys our attempts you know maybe I'll, I'll film an attempt and you'll see me nearly kill myself <laughs> but at least it'll be documented right? yeah right you won't have anyone to spot you because the person who's spotting you will be uh, filming film yeah. <laughs> so, yeah on, on like Instagram I've never done a video on Instagram but uh, we're going to try it um, so uh, that's uh, yeah that's exciting mm. that's uh, well I say that's exciting it might not be exciting for you but it's exciting not I'm sure it's exciting for you but it might be exciting for you the listener no but we'd but like some terms for... of encouragement like maybe if someone could tweet at me Come on, Andy. So you're, oh, so I'm you can do it, Andy boy. Get to one forty-five. Like a Lord Alfred Hayes during yeah. the Battle Royal. Yeah. Where he's like, "Come on, Davy boy, yes. you can do it." <laughs> I bet Martin Goldsmith was responsible for that one as well. Yeah, he could well be. So we're gonna have to we're gonna have to ask him about that one, aren't we? Yeah. Um, Let's try not to forget. So um. So yeah, so that, that's uh, that's kind of that's our fitness goals. Um, so and maybe if you want to join us in your fitness goals as well. Yeah. You can, you can. And I'm still on my goal of trying to get 2,000 followers by Christmas, and I don't, I can't remember if I got any new followers this week. I think I lost a few, but I'll put them down to being, you know, spam bots or whatever um, they're called. Okay, so we're going to start a new game. Okay. Because there's a uh, there's a thirty there's a thirty day wrestler challenge going around Facebook at the moment, doing the rounds. Okay, and. Uh, and I figure we need a new segment because World of Sport's finished now, so we can't have your uh, <laughs> your weekly World of Sport review, unfortunately. Yes. No. Um, I mean, you filled us with so much wisdom during the last 10 weeks. Well, I like to think that's why numbers went up. Um, it must have been. Um, so instead of Andy Boy Simmons' World of Sport review, we're going to go, we need a new jingle as well. So it'd be like, Andy and Andy's 
30 day week wrestling challenge. No. Done it. Could it be like that? Yeah. Well, we've done it now, so... Yeah. We struggled to get someone to do us an opening jingle, let alone so no one's gonna a make a show jingle. So we've got to do one that I can remember. Okay. Andy and Andy's 30 week wrestling. Maybe we need to do it to Challenge. Something. Okay, well, let's, let's do week one without a jingle. Okay, and we'll, okay. we'll compose one over mm. the, the week. Um, so, week one. Current favourite male wrestler. All right. Um, whew, yeah, we should have thought about this before we went on air. Oh, I've got one. Okay, uh, so have I. Go on, you go first. Uh, ah, I have got one. So... I mean, we're talking WWE. We're not. Just, any, I know we're just not. I know we're not just talking about WWE. Anyone guys. in the wrestling world? Okay, so do you know who I do like? Who? Big Van Walter. Walter, just Walter. Okay. Big okay. Daddy Walter. Just Walter now. Okay. All right, Walter then. Why do you like him? I like big wrestlers. I like big, believable, heavy-handed like wrestlers. He's big. Yeah. That's <laughs> Cool. Yeah, that's it. I, do, I just I watch him. I like him. I like believable wrestling. Um, you know, I can't, I'm not really a big fan of this nonsense. I call I call it nonsense. I know a lot of people like it, so I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying that I don't really like it. That you know, what you, you know, like a million moves a minute wrestling. But Walter is like the complete opposite of that. So I'm really into that. And cool. Zack Sabre Jr. as well. One wrestler <laughs> And John Cena So who's your current favourite wrestler? The Undertaker You can't have The Undertaker Why? Because he's not re- Like when was the last He wrestled last time Was in Saudi Arabia A long time ago He's wrestling at the, in Australia This weekend well, Maybe if it, if it was next week You could okay. have had him Alright So who are you going to settle with? Walter or are you going to Zack Sabre Jr. Walter Undertaker I'm trying to th- I don't know uh, Okay I'm going to settle with uh, Curtis Axel Okay. Okay. Cool. Right, so I say that kind of facetiously, but actually I think Curtis Axel's actually really good. And what's his current tag team called? The B team. Okay, just check in. The best team. Which again is so so creative. You're so creative, Andy. Yeah. Um So, uh mine's mine's gonna be um mine's gonna be the switchblade Jay White. Okay. Do you why? know why? Go on. Because I think he's uh he's He's injected some chaos into chaos. Ooh. And uh, yeah. And I think that the reason why I say it's a switchblade JY is because I think that I'm thinking out of the box a little bit when I say him, mm-hmm. right? But I think that he's been he's done a great job of turning himself into a credible top main eventer. And obviously, a, a week or so ago, he did that big yeah. angle where he he laid out Tanahashi. Laid out Okada. He was joined by Gado, um, and and we all know what happened last time. Gado um, hitched his wagon onto a onto a top act, which was obviously Kazuchika Okada. We know what happened with Okada, so I'm calling it now. Jay White, huge star. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time on the camps with Jay White, and we have a video. I took my video camera away one week, and like to film the matches, and I have it somewhere. Uh, it's a sh- it's only a short clip in the changing rooms of I call it the changing rooms like. A, tiny little box room in a holiday park called Rockley Park in Dorset and Mar- I'm filming Marty's got the pretend microphone and he goes right then jamming jigging jumping Jay White what are your thoughts in your match against the UK kid later today 
and Marty sort of, we're only playing, and then Jay White's, oh, I don't know what to say. And like, Joe just, like, obviously just messing around, but even then he couldn't handle that kind of like, I don't know what to say. Yeah. Which is always the worst thing you can say no matter what situation you're in. But my point is, watching what he did last week, is just like, you know, also saying it's a 180 isn't like enough. Do you know what I mean? Like it's a complete, he's a yeah. million miles away from what he was three or four years ago on the holiday parks. And three or four years is a long time, don't get me wrong, but if you watch but that- But for it's like, so, Again, to, to emphasise Jay, when he first started training, his train of a UK kid was like, he thought he was a ringer, right? He thought that he was like ribbing him. Like he turned up. he said up, he'd never been in the ring before. Yeah, he yeah. turned up. He said he'd never never wrestled before. And like, he went through all the basics that you go through, but got everything first time. And was so natural at everything he did that Tom thought he was lying when he said he'd never yeah. <laughs> never come in the ring before. But it's it's it was the first time he was in the ring. Uh, so like, he's just a, it's an amazingly natural, naturally gifted professional wrestler. Um, so three years to a normal wrestler is kind of a long time. Sure. But three years to a Jay White, someone who picks it up. And when I say three years to a Jay White, I don't think that it does him enough credit because to consistently improve across those three years is a hard task because many people plateau, they get in a comfort zone, they feel comfortable, but Jay White's continued to progress, continue to evolve and continue to improve. So that's why Jay White's my current favourite wrestler. Okay. All right? Yep. Cool. So that was uh, that was this week mm-hmm. of Andy and Andy's 30-week wrestling challenge with that being said um i think that's probably all we got time for because we need to get to this interview don't we we do and we've uh, we've talked for quite a while um so uh yeah thanks for thanks for listening to this opening part now we've got a hell of an interview coming up um so on the other side. sit back relax enjoy um and if you wanted to sponsor our podcast then now would be the this is the type of place we'd put your advert in so this is a type of you know opportunity you get these prime opportunities yeah so uh thanks very much everyone and enjoy our interview with martin goldsmith okay martin thank you very much for inviting us into your wonderful office today um much appreciated yeah hi martin thanks for joining us thanks for coming thanks for coming all the way from portsmouth to see me (laughs) it's all right anytime but i mean you know we're huge fans of wrestling martin you've uh, we've heard you're a big fan of the podcast anyway we hope it's not all talk um (laughs) but uh yeah, we've uh, we've been greeted by uh, a sea of wrestling memorabilia throughout the years, um, and instantly we can see this is going to be a fantastic interview. Yeah, I just said you might deny that. I think you've, it's like you've gone through my WWF collection of programs and magazines and catalogues, and it's, it's incredible. It's, well, it's all here. Uh, I mean, it's over thirty odd years uh, of uh, kind of. I'm not a collector. I'm a hoarder. Yeah, because if I was a collector, I would have sold this stuff off years ago. But sure. anyway, it just sits in every every cupboard I open. There's something else that hits me that I'd forgotten we had. You know. Yeah, but yeah. So you so it's not w, just WWF, is it? You've done no. you've done music and all well, sorts our, our business. Uh, I mean, our business is really based on rock and roll touring. Okay. So we we go back over 35 or 37 years now. So back to the early days of rock and roll touring. Um, our first, um, I suppose, major artist that I, I realised what what was happening in America. So the world of kind of t-shirts and and memorabilia hadn't really hit the UK in any big way. And um, 
my brother, who's Harvey Goldsmith, famous promoter in those, in those days, was touring every kind of legend you can think of. So we're talking about Bruce Springsteen, Rolling Stones, David Bowie, Eric Clapton, um, uh, uh, quite so many of them. I can't remember who they were. Yeah, Jeff Rod Be- Stewart, I saw Rod them. Stewart, yeah. Jeff Beck, Elton John, Paul McCartney, Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, the Eagles. Um, and what what happened actually? Um, he was working um, with an American artist whose name f- I've forgotten. Who Elvis Presley. No, not Elvis Presley. <laughs> no, okay. A, a, uh, you're going to cut this bit out anyway. No, uh, no. Oh, you're not. Okay. No, no, we don't. No. Okay, okay. This is well, live. Th- this is um, th- this was a singer, Cindy Lauper, right? Cind- Cindy Lauper was touring the UK, and. Um, at the time, she'd made this album, uh, and she had a kind of um, an arrangement with WWF, and they made a. They, I think they did some dates. I think it was called Rock and Wrestling, if I believe. Yeah. And Cindy Lauper provided the musical accompaniment, and part of her, the video, she had um, Hulk, Hulk Hogan and Captain Lou Albert. Barna or Captain, yeah, that's right, Captain, Captain Lou, yeah. Captain Lou Abana as her bodyguards in this video, and she said to Harvey, um, "I'd like you to meet these guys, Hulk. I'd like you to meet Hulk Hogan and the Captain because I think there's something that um, they could do over here." And he said, "Well, you know, I don't, I don't think about wrestling, but I did. So I knew that in the states in that in that time, the the." Um, the world of WWF are kind of just starting to move out of its kind of, as Vince McMahon said to me, we're just a fairground operator. We're just an attraction at fairgrounds. I knew that they were moving out of that kind of fairground business into the mainstream touring business. So we um, also, a lot of our, myself and other friends who had been to Disney World, um, Florida, etc., had seen and watched American television, and by then, it uh, WWF was just, you know, it was on TV quite a lot, and the characters were becoming well-known. Anyway, after meeting uh, Cindy inter- introduced us to um, Hulk Hogan, who said, I think you should meet um, uh, Vince McMahon, because I think there's something here for uh, into the European market, you know. So i sailed over to the states sat down with vince and his team which was including linda who i think she had quite a bit to say in that company in those days i thought there was a young um no i forgot well, who was the son what's his name shane shane i think he was just about being blooded into the company along with his sister and um we sat down and we and we said and the first thing vince said basically was well i'm tr- i'm trying to do a deal with sky tv to put wwf on the tv and uh, we're just in the final negotiations so we said okay fine we saw the opportunity there of, of wwf on television which is going to help promote the product so we said well we think we can do some dates in the uk as soon as you've got the, the sky tv deal sewn up contact us which happened very, very quickly. And we decided uh, they, d- they put on the very, very first date, which was at the London Arena, 
which is in uh, Docklands, uh, a bit of a kind of a, uh, it was a, the newest arena that had ever been built in the country in, in Docklands. It was a bit of a, uh, a difficult place to get to. I know uh, we had experience of it because um, um, we had a show in there with Pavarotti, uh, who kind of more or less opened the place, and it was owned partly owned by a boxing promoter called Frank Warren, who's still around today. And um, so they put in one advert in the sun or the mirror, and it sold out instantly. Wow. And uh, Maman and his team were absolutely amazed. They could not believe it. You know, this is it. This is the beginning. By then, the Sky TV... I'm, I'm not quite sure the exact kind of calendar how it worked, but by then I think the Sky TV was underway and the audience was growing. And the very fact that that one date sold out, uh, we, uh, I, by then, uh, I'm missing out one part. By then I had, I had a, a contract with WWF to handle all their kind of uh, licensing, merchandising and touring. And I knew what was been happening in America was going to repeat itself quickly over here. Uh, and within uh, within a few months, I had uh, licensees, uh, Canada licensees, and toy licensees, T-shirt licensees, and cups and saucers and all that kind of stuff, knocking at our door, trying to buy into the World Wrestling Federation as right. a, for the retail. Uh, and that basically is the story of our our kind of association. Okay, just sort of exploded from there, I guess. So what was that, 1989? First one, I believe? I I, I believe it was. I can't quite remember the exact date. Uh, I think it was 1980. By by then, uh, we then came back and did a... We toured the country. um, All to complete sell-out dates. Merchandising sales were just beyond belief, you know. I mean, the amount of money that was being... Every... All I can say about wrestling fans, God bless them, is that we don't have to sell them anything. They have to buy, you know, and they'll queue. They'll queue for an hour to buy a T-shirt. So know? is that, so obviously you, you've got the experience with the, the rest of other events. Yes. And then was yeah. that comparable to other events or was it something like you'd never seen before? Well, it, the only thing, the only thing kind of ever, I suppose, near it is the world of heavy metal. Because um, a heavy metal fan, uh, you know, they, again, they have to buy something. But the the world, res, the, the wrestling fans, because of the, the, wide demographic of people so you've got little kids and you've got the dads and the mums you you can the product range is will appeal to everybody it's not just a heavy metal fan who wants a t-shirt you know so it was well well ahead of anything else on the road at the time a lot of the venues for instance the venues got complete and whatever we told them they didn't believe us and it caused quite a lot of hassle with a lot of the venues because they weren't prepared for it you know, so so if you want to buy a shirt, you had to queue up for about half an hour before you could spend your money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could bet. Which yeah. adds to the demand. And, exactly. And and with with the merchandising as well. So you obviously had the license for it. Were you creating specific products, or were you just taking what they've made in America and replicating no, it we, over here? We did some creativity, but basically, we knew we had a good idea of what products were going to. It was no point in reinventing the the wheel. We didn't have to be that inventive. There was a few kind of quirky ideas that we came up, which some of them worked and some of them didn't. But basically, it was just a kind of basic merchandising range that sold. And it could have been anything from teddy bears to to China to 
trays to to um, uh, memorabilia replica models and all that type of stuff, as well as the the usual the Hasbro type items, which became a worldwide huge um, product. I think the original company. Uh, was a company called Jacks, Jacks Pacific. They were the company that I dealt with, and they produced this whole range of figures, dozens and dozens of different figures uh, of all different types, which people still collect today. Oh, it's massive! Isn't it? Those Hasbro toys, specifically, were a big part of our childhood, weren't absolutely, they? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, they really were. No, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, we. What was interesting? I went <coughs> at that time. The world of uh, home shopping on television had just started and, and QVC had just set up their own it was owned actually QVC was originally in the Sky building which was in uh, on in Battersea and they I they, they they were looking they were looking for programs and somebody said to, to them contact me regarding kind of merchandising generally general merchandising whether it's music or or theatre or sports and I went to them with the idea of having a World Wrestling Federation show um, as part of their you know their one of their hours which they love and so the the general or the managing director at the time he was desperate absolutely desperate for uh, content but he was American so he knew what uh, the appeal of World Wrestling Federation so they gave us an hour uh, uh, on QVC and it was just unbelievable it's still unbelievable today I think we took like £100,000 on wrestling oh, merchandise wow. on QVC <laughs> yeah. on QVC that's a good bet yeah <laughs> which was quite amazing and then um, we did a few hours on this on this um, on that channel were you actually presenting yourself on QVC well I was part of it yeah there was a guy there was one guy called um um, Paul Lavers, who was actually a TV presenter, he knew not, he was a he actually was an actor uh, in the kind of in the old school type actoring, you know. He, and when we brought in the re wrestling, he he looked at it as if I was mad. You know? <laughs> so then I came up with the idea of bringing in uh, personalities from from the state. So we we brought in uh, these two guys, Luke and. Um, Butch. The Bushwhackers. Yeah. Yeah. Butch, that's it. Luke and Butch. Bush. Anyway, they turned up in their vests and things. You know, these guys, I think they came from New Zealand, didn't they, originally, yeah. or Australia. Uh, and they they turned up uh, in the um, in the studios in their vests and, you know, hats that were around back to front, looking like real tough guys, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Could imagine what they thought, yeah. <laughs> and they were, we used them as kind of, uh, as presenters with ourselves, you know, and it helps, you know. And um, at the end of the uh, at the end of the hour, or I think it was an hour, and we recorded a couple of hours for later. I said, "Come on, let's go out for something to eat." And I wanted to go somewhere that would um, create a stir. So I d found a very very expensive upmarket restaurant in Knightsbridge, and I booked it and um, walked in that evening after the show with these two guys still dressed as Butch and Luke, and the whole place. Mm -hmm. They could not believe it. They were absolutely stunned. But of course, all the waiters knew who they were. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> of course, the most we got the most amazing attention. The waiters went mad, you know, all these other upmarket guys. <laughs> what the hell's yeah, going on here? Sure, I can imagine. That's yeah. sitting here with our shirts and ties, and these blokes turn up with vests on. You know. <laughs> Did they let you in? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So, um, uh, and then, um, which brings me on to kind of, um, I'm not, I actually can't remember the, the actual year this was, but so one day we received. By then, the mo we were touring constantly. We went all we we toured the uh, whole of Europe. I think nearly every country. I think we had one or two disasters, maybe in Scandinavia, uh, who really were into the whole story. So, was there any research? Was when you were putting these shows on? Was it like so? You say Scandinavia yeah. didn't really work. Was, well, there, was it just like let's just throw it anywhere and see what? No, happens? No, it wasn't or? that because of our contacts in the world of of promoters rock and roll promoters and we only we only work with the biggest people in the world in each territory so all we would go to the local promoter who we knew okay. who who uh, is used to promoting the rolling stones or bowie and all, or whatever it is and if it didn't work it's not the end of the world. It's not like you're dealing with some local small-time wrestling promoter who gets hurt, and he really gets hurt. These guys are gamblers. They take, they take the, they listen to what we tell them. They knew, and obviously they did their research. And um, I would say 95% of every date we did, wherever we went, other maybe Scandinavia, maybe I've got. To, if I remember, there was one in Holland that didn't work at all. Uh, and it was a bit difficult in Germany at the time because uh, wrestling was not on TV probably until midnight because they mm. their rules of censorship, you know, disgusting, you know, these people flying around. We're not going to allow to show that to 12 o'clock at night. <laughs> 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 so, so it was a few, there was a few uh, problems there. I mean, Italy, um, it was a big success. And then um, we went to one of the funniest experiences. We went to Israel, you know, and I, I, I contacted a promoter in Israel who I knew, <coughs> and um, he was up for it. We took them to Israel. They, they arrived on a very um, important Jewish holiday, which was a, a bit of a mistake, which meant that any all the food which they were normally used to get, so they want a Budweiser, they want... Um, whatever beer they want they couldn't buy it and we couldn't none of the hotels could supply it because all all the food that to be eaten that week had to be of a certain it's kosher food and the normal kind of stuff that you would normally drink every day of your life was not available was there anyone in particular who didn't respond very well to that well, i can't remember a lot of them and they wanted a bud you know budweiser yeah. or budweiser wasn't kosher so they couldn't get it yeah. or they want <laughs> or they wanted johnny walker or something like that. they couldn't anyway the show the shows were in, you know, successful they did three or four dates there that was sold out um it caused an amazing stir with the young kids of that country and um, so I said to the guys one day, who want, we were based in Tel Aviv, and I said, who wants to come to Jerusalem, to the holy city? And half a dozen of them said, yes, we'd love to see it, etc. You know, it's been my ambition all my life. And so we hired a guide and a bus and took the guys, took them to Jerusalem. And on the way, um, Randy Savage says to me, hey, he says, my mother's Jewish. I said, oh, really, that's interesting. That makes you Jewish. And there was a like, 
a stunned son. What do you mean I'm Jewish? I said, if your mother's Jewish, you are Jewish. What do you mean I'm Jewish? I said, that's how it is. <laughs> Give me your phone. Get, so he gets on the he gets on the phone. Hey, Ma, they, I'm in Jerusalem. They just told me I'm Jewish. And you can imagine the the other side. It was a stunned silence. <laughs> Did she say yes, Randy? You are. <laughs> and he was. He was Jewish. Anyway, it's only through birth. And that's how it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. But um, and he was absolutely amazed. He was stunned. He couldn't believe it. And as time went on. Uh, many years later, I think he really got into the religion, and he'd be quite. Well, it, thanks to you. Oh, yes. Yeah, right. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Exactly. In fact, he was. You know, he became uh, quite well known. You know, in in those kind of charity circles and those. I don't know. Um, is he still alive? No, he no, died no. Unfortunately, not. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. He got run over, didn't he? Or something. He happened. was in a car accident. Yeah. Yeah. Something happened. Yeah. Uh, so that was uh, one of the strangest things that happened. You know, in that story, we went to. Uh, Dubai. Oh no, that was with TNA. So I'll come back to that one a bit later on. Okay. So, but, so but I, I just had a little question. So you went to Scandinavia. Is that what you said? And you said it wasn't a particularly successful event. No. So, so, so I'm just curious more than anything. So what would be a not very good attendance? Are we talking like still a couple of thousand or? Well, I, I probably, let's say, let's say the venue holds eight to 10,000 and yeah. maybe we'd only do half. Okay. You know. Right. Okay. So it meant, so still busy by yeah. anyone's metrics, but not the, no, no, not I mean, what you're used no, to and what because, you're because the promoters, promoter makes a bid on a sellout. Yeah. We absolutely. told, we say it's going to be a sellout. We yeah. know it's going to be a sellout, but if it isn't, the promoter loses money. You know, it wasn't like not the end of the world. I think we had one, the only other country, I think we had a, there was a bit of a, a hiccup on uh, one date in Belgium somewhere. I'm not quite sure what happened, but that wasn't very good. But other than that, you know, for any any artist or any band to tour the world and have 95% sellout venues is a great achievement. Of course, you know? yeah, incredible. And uh, and in terms of the people who were coming along to the tours, was Vince McMahon yeah. himself coming to he, these different he, countries and cultures with you? Uh, no, I don't think he did. I, I, he came here quite a lot. And I think he came to Germany, um, and he might have, quite truth, I can't really remember. He did a few of the dates, you know, he did a few of the, um, Stephanie was just more or less getting into it. And Shane, I think he was kind of ready to step in. I think he's still ready to step in. Is that correct? He's still around. Yeah, I believe, anyway. Okay. Um, so um, he had a great team, great team of, uh, of people on the road who knew their business. You know, the, the guys themselves generally, they loved it. They loved it over here. I mean, you know, most of them, it was a new world anyway. And, and were there any wrestlers in particular while during those early days yeah. who you... Uh, Built a bond with a friendship with. Well, I, I because of I suppose Hulk Hogan. I was always always friendly with him, and and, and Jimmy, you know, and Jimmy when Jimmy used to get very excited. You know, he used to talk a million words to the to the second or second words to the minute. You know, yeah. he never started. He was very very excited, and he was always you know, <laughs> you know, and he used to be a bit of a mouthpiece. For, for the Hulkster in those days. Uh, Bret Hart got very close to him because I could see he was a man who had some aura about him. And then, of course, uh, the British Bulldog, who was really um, 
He was just, because obviously when he came here, he was a hero and he was just yeah. kind of building himself up into a superstar, you know. Um, so it, then as time went by, we went to 1993 Two. or five? Five, was it? Uh, 92. Summer, 92. 92, okay. 92. Why don't we do SummerSlam in the UK? And they thought... So was this your idea? Uh, it was mine and uh, Vince. Well, yeah. it probably came, probably all came from Vince. He could see the the appeal. He could see what was going on. Why don't we do SummerSlam? So, Harvey booked the um, Wembley Stadium. Everybody thought he was mad. Everybody said you must be out of your mind. You know, blah blah. blah. Anyway, as we all know, what happened? You know, it was one of the biggest shows that ever been held at Wembley Stadium. Obviously, attendance-wise. Uh, because you had that huge uh, use of the pi of the pitch as against yeah. a football match, you got seventy eight, seventy eight to eighty thousand. Once you use the pitch, you got that extra ten thousand, and it, the the thing went absolutely crazy. We were the merchandising company that had the rights. We, I put in retail value, something like one point two million pounds of merchandise which was unbelievable for one show and everyone said you're mad what in the hell are you doing you must be out of your eyes I said well if it doesn't work I'm going to go bust <laughs> <laughs> anyway we started we opened our um, the trading um, we we built extra stores etc outside the or, or we didn't I mean Wembley bought extra stores outside uh, the, the arena and they started training like nine o'clock in the morning, you know, for the doors to open at five. And there was a queue for six hours until everybody went inside and bought more and more and more merchandise. And at the end of the day, we brought back a very small little truck, thank God. Did you really? <laughs> yeah. And you went. Absolutely. Incredible. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, it was like just around about a million or something like that. We had to, f we always have this problem in the world of, of, of touring merchandising where you're fighting the pirates who are the unofficial traders, yeah. etc. And uh, there was a whole barrage of these guys who were set up across the road, you know. Um, luckily, we, we took out an injunction uh, for through the trading standards officers and they brought in some bailiffs who came along and confiscated all the goods, took them away, so those guys weren't. Uh, we weren't very well received by them, you could, as you can imagine. But yeah, anyway, sure. they, all their goods were confiscated and put in a lock-up. Uh, by law, by law, you have to give them all back at the end of the gig, which we did. Uh, but that helped as well, of course. You know, and um, believe it or not, seven or six and a half years later, I received a writ from Southend Court. Uh, for restraint of trade from one of the guys who were trading outside <laughs> the venue. Because by law, you're allowed seven years uh, until uh, to make your appeal into the court. They, so this guy was, I, I can't remember his name, but he, he got, um, he was at, he, no, I've forgotten what it's called now, but you know when you, 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 do, you can't afford to employ a lawyer, you can't afford to lawyer a barrister. Yeah, like so, no win, no fees. Type. Yeah, so yeah. He, it, this was very legal. He put, in the, he put in his case, and I suddenly received this writ that you are, have to appeal at South End Court for something that happened six and a half <laughs> yeah. years ago. He's been stewing about it all this time. <laughs> 
<laughs> Unbelievable. Well, he knew the law, and he, yeah. he had he had that period before it all kind of got struck off. And uh, we, um, I looked into it, and I looked, I could not believe it. He was trying to claim fifty thousand pounds or something. Wow. <laughs> but um, I then went, took some advice, and they said, well, he's being backed by the legal. Uh, if I can remember actually what it's called, but the the government will pay for this for this appeal, and um, at the last minute he lost the backing of this of the finance, so he didn't have to pay any legal fees, etc. So it never happened. I'd like to see what his argument was. Yeah. We were selling counterfeit goods. Restraint <laughs> of trade. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. There we go. Oh, brilliant. So. It, was when the idea came up of Wembley Stadium, was it purely um, SummerSlam in England? Sorry. Yeah. Was it purely like, if we do this, it's got to be at Wembley Stadium? Was there ever thought of maybe we'll put it in Wembley Arena? Or it was always. No, like, it had to be. No, be Vince, Vince and his team wanted it to be at. Whether it was Wembley Stadium, it could have been in Manchester, or, but a major yeah. stadium. Okay. And obviously the stadium at the time was Wembley. It was yeah. available and it works. And the tickets. Um, just flew, yeah, know, completely yeah. flew in those days, and it's still talked about today. Oh, it is, yeah. Like it, it wasn't the, the merchandising you sold, was that not a, a record for a long time? It was, the, it was a record for many, many years. I don't know whether it's been broken yet. Maybe, I think maybe the NFL, who when they first appeared at Wembley, was who will be selling obviously product for a hundred pounds or sixty pounds yeah. each. They probably took more, but probably money. in terms of volume of, of oh, items absolutely. sold, you probably still, yeah. still there now. No, absolutely, yeah. I think in the um, in the magazine, or you could buy your program. Obviously, think about this. Uh, this was pre-internet trading, or maybe yeah. internet trading was just just a part of it. So basically, what we we also created a catalogue for all the licensees, all their licensed products. So those people could buy mail order. They could buy. Um, um, sticker, the sticker album thing, which had all just massively started. They could buy bedspreads, they could buy watches, they could buy the famous popcorn, which is up there. I've still got a tin of that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to ask Martin, is there a lock-up anywhere with all this stuff still in it? Uh, to tell you the truth, I don't think there is. But no, probably if I looked hard enough, there probably is. You know. <laughs> in fact, I'm just looking at something very interesting. Um, Sorry you can't see it, fans, but I've just discovered something which is incredibly fashionable today. Look at those shoes. Oh, wow. Oh, I, yeah. I have a pair of those. Those British Bulldogs. I, I own a pair of those. Really? Yeah. I really do, yeah. yeah. Well, actually, this yeah. is... A, this is no, no, oh, I had that backpack. This is the first time oh, cool. I've looked... This is the first time I've really opened this up for years and years. And yeah. now, uh, shoes, uh, trainers... Um, with design on them, are highly, very, very fashionable. Whether yeah. it's whether it's uh, uh, character merchandising or painting, you know, that is the that is. Uh, the they're thing. really not. Yeah. Our yeah. friend well, Billy Martin Skull has uh, <laughs> some of those, doesn't he? He does. Yeah, some yeah. villain ones. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't realise until I just opened that program. So yeah. there was slip. You could buy World Wrestling Federation slippers. I had some. Good? I had the British Bulldog slippers. Have you? Yeah. <laughs> and like, but I remember. So um, what, you used to have like a discounted. I'm not sure if it was a separate piece of paper or like the back of a thing used to have a discounted bit and there was there wasn't much so like so I remember like for example I had these WWF tracksuit bottoms which yeah. I go on about a lot but there wasn't um, 
where it was discounted, there wasn't much choice in size. Oh, right. So I, I had a size which was miles too big for me. Um, well, so absolutely right. Well, you, have you washed them a few times? I have, yeah, yeah. Have they yeah, shrunk? They, they fit me now. <laughs> they fit me now. Yeah. So. Well, I, I, I can't... Uh, there might have been... I mean, the, the point is there were so many different items and a lot of the um, licensees, you know, when they bring out a range, they had to bring out a full range, right? They... It had to have whatever characters we'd say were the items that were winners, they had to bring out a range. So obviously, you know, some of them are winners and some of them are losers. So maybe that's where you saw your discounted product, you know. Yeah, I think when I was about 14, I brought a diesel life-size cardboard cutout. Yes, I think, so I think, yeah. I, I think I've got one downstairs somewhere, actually. And uh, anyway, we... And as t obviously, every single... Every tour, there was a catalogue. It was a paper catalogue. And this is kind of pre-internet trading today. Uh, of course, one of the great moments of SummerSlam for me was uh, when I <coughs> introduced Robert Plant uh, from Led Zeppelin to the British Bulldog. And Robert brought his kid along and um, I think um, Bulldog. And I have the photograph on the wall, which you're looking at now. Yeah, there it is, there, yeah. With uh, myself, Robert Plant and British Bulldog and their kid, you know. Uh, that is, would that be Harry? I don't know. One of the, one uh, of those kids. I don't, I don't sure. think it is actually. Doesn't no. look like him, does it? Must oh, be one of Robert Plant's son's best oh, mates maybe. or something. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I, I don't know. The lucky boy, either way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, for, for me, you know, Robert Plant, you know, because we, we work with Led Zeppelin, and um, he, he he wanted to take his kids along to this thing and get a picture like that. Of course, know, yeah. very very unique, you know. Yeah, it's amazing. It's yeah. Brilliant. Absolutely. Yeah. So the way, the way I remember it, Martin, so I, I went to SummerSlam when I was seven or eight and yeah. everyone pre-summer, so in the lead up to SummerSlam, everyone was at school, I mean, was yeah. WWF this, WWF. Yeah. By the time I'd come back from school holidays, yeah. we had that six week, seven week break, yeah. couldn't wait to tell everyone how good SummerSlam was. It almost like WWF wasn't in at my school anymore. Did, was there sort of like, was that, was it just my school or was it, was there a bit of a... Drop off in popularity? Or? There was actually, yes, comes to think of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I can't, honestly don't know. Maybe it was, maybe by then, WWF was on three or four Sky channels. Maybe mm. it was kind of over, maybe there was just too much of it in your face, you know. Yeah. Um, there was a period, there was a period, and maybe the characters had kind of, this was just obviously pre-Stone Cold Steve Austin, uh, uh, and that kind of period, um, and probably the characters have been over, you know, overplayed. Okay, yeah. Uh, Bret Hart was always a hero. He was always somebody that people loved, I think, really, above all. And the Hulkster was still at his prime, you know. Uh, and maybe what, there, was a, there was a time, they were touring, at the time America was down, you know, the, the attendances in a lot of, in, in a lot of the, major American arenas were down and WWF had signed all the, their, their guys up for you know a contract which says they couldn't work anywhere else you know so they had to find somewhere else to take them I mean we went to Australia uh, sorry went to South Africa I remember that was a bit of an interesting place we, because the the South African promoter Again, um, he was, he had not, we didn't really have a clue because live events in South Africa was in their infancy. 
But the guy had had quite a bit of success with, I think it was it was either Madonna or the Stones who had toured there previously. So he was up for taking a, a gamble. They built, they put us into two or three uh, football arenas. You know, not not 60, 70, 80,000, but maybe yeah. 20,000 football arenas. And I always remember uh, a very, the first thing that happened, Nando's, who was a South African company, was just starting to kick off. And Nando's were kind of a semi-sponsor of the tour. And we saw Nando's the chicken. Yeah. Oh, Nando, right. Nando's chicken, their South African company. Yeah. Right. And I can still see it today because part of the deal was every gig, the Nando's van would arrive and these guys would walk in to the where the guy where all the wrestlers are sitting waiting for their lunch with these massive boxes of chicken. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I you can just, you can still you can just imagine the guy they probably you know, I don't know who it was probably had two or three chickens on his own before he started. <laughs> you know? And uh, and Nando's name was out on the posters and all that kind of stuff. And that was their kind of first uh, oh, okay. major kind of promotion. And then, and then they also, as a bit of a gimmick, they, they got hold of, there was um, a very controversial South African uh, politician who, who kind of used to, he was very, very right wing completely anti-blacks and, and freedom for blacks. And he was, I can't remember his name, it will come to me soon. But they, they, they got this actor who imitated the, this politician. And part of the, the gig was that he would like goose step around the ring before the rest of his Yeah, stuff. I know you're talking about the Commandant, right? The Truth Commission? <laughs> I don't remember yeah, his name yeah, there. All I remember yeah. him being bottled. You know, everybody threw things. God, really? <laughs> it was unbelievable. You know, I can't remember his name. Uh, anyway, it come to me one day. And uh, he got beaten up, of course, at the yeah. end of it. And that was part of the whole storyline. Great. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Um, so I've got questions. So after the success of Wembley, yeah. was there never any talk of going back to do a Wembley Stadium show? Well, they're still talking about I it now. Yeah, I, I, I do. Yeah, I hear it now. Yeah. Well, by then, what, what happens now, I have not a clue. But all I can tell you, um, every every year... There's a, a lobby. There's always a lobby, isn't there? Yeah. That SummerSlam should be in the UK. It's never happened, uh, but I'm sure it will happen one day. Why wouldn't it? I don't. I don't well, know. I think an American's going to be owning Wembley soon, so oh, that's maybe possible. that'll bring ah, it closer. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. That's a good idea. But um, every few years, at the same old. Well, maybe every summer, the same story. And uh, I'm sure it will probably do the similar kind of business. You know. Yeah. Uh, and, and did Vince say anything to you <coughs> after SummerSlam? Maybe a little thank you. <laughs> I can't remember. We paid him a lot of money, so he was happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my my dealings with him were, you know, they were very... Um, I think he, first of all, he appreciated what we did for that brand, you know. He, he did appreciate it. The deals were tough. He, he was tough. And our relationship went on for, I think it went on for 12 years, if I remember. And one day... Um, my contract was up for renewal and I used the guy that I used to report to in the States his name was Stanley Schenker now Stanley Schenker was the in charge of merchandising and licensing anything other than what happens in the ring that was his job and um, I, I used to, I, I reported to him and whatever royalties and whatever we had to pay went to Mr. Schenker's uh, office 
as far as I was concerned, everything was great. And suddenly I started hearing a few rumours that um, things weren't going correctly with WWF. So I went out to Connecticut to meet with this guy. And the first thing I thought was a bit odd, he, he invited me to his house, which he had this incredible house in Connecticut. But what struck me, and I, is that all around the walls of his house, he had most incredible artwork. He had Andy Warhols, he, he had every um, major modern artist, originals, all around the walls of his house. And I stood there and I, and I couldn't believe it. I said, this is amazing, Stanley. Where, you know, where did you, um, where did you get, he said, well, I'm a, you know, my wife is a collector, she's an art person. I thought, oh, I could not believe it. I was like dumbstruck, you know, about all this stuff that I was looking at. Anyway, what happened was, um, a few, month, few months later, that Mr. Schenker was being um, had up for fraud because a lot of the money that should have gone to WWF oh, no. <laughs> suddenly disappeared into his <laughs> oh, own. <wow. laughs> so um, anyway, they 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 said to me. Um, by then, this ha that hadn't ex that had not had exploded. But anyway, they said to me. Uh, come over to, to talk about the new contract because I'm waiting after all this time for renewal and I just took it for granted, you know, there's no... So had you been through this process several times oh, yeah. before then? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, every every couple of years we had to have a new contract, you know, there was never any problem, everything was great and everything was reported in, all the royalties and all this, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so they take, I go to Connecticut and uh, I sat down in front of the, the, the board and, um, the, and, and, the, and the strange thing about it is the the person who's in charge of licensing, whose surname was Goldsmith. Well, she has to be a relation of mine, doesn't he? How could anything? You'd have thought so, yeah. How could anything <laughs> go wrong? <laughs> Her name was Donna Goldsmith, and she was a person who was brought in to run that whole division, you know. Uh, and she said, the first thing, it's been great, fantastic, thank you very much, after 10 or 12 years, but we're not renewing your license. So I, I could not wow. believe it. Really? <laughs> I, said to, I sat there down, dumbfounded, you know, I could not believe it. And it was all basically to do with my, my association with this guy, Stanley Schenker, by then he was being, waiting to go to trial or something. So that was the end of it. <laughs> okay. But no, anyway. Thank you, goodbye. Thank you, goodbye, and that was it. Thank you and goodbye. They did thank me, but I said, why in the fuck didn't you tell, why am I going to come out, out yeah, here right. and told you <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That could be a quick email. Yeah. What, what year and was the funny, that? I can't remember. Actually, uh, the funny thing about it, though, just going back, going forward, maybe 15 years or so, we, we work with a company called Tough Mudder, which you've probably heard of, you know, yeah. Tough, and we run all their kind of, every, all their uh, promotions and merchandising. Um, and the, Suddenly, the, a new executive has been appointed and head of licensing and merchandising and all that kind of... And guess who it was? Donald Goldsmith. Wow, <laughs> really? <laughs> Believe it or not. Do you get on all right now then, do you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. great. Yeah, no. And uh, um, so um, go, that was the end of it. I mean, I was, I was absolutely horrified and shocked because we had never... We hadn't put a foot wrong. We built up their business, and but then of course they set up their own offices in Europe, and they didn't need me anyway, you know, because they had a, they had their own people working over here, basically on the licensing and merchandising, and they had a very good setup, 
with um, a company called Three Eighth as their promoters, or Triple A, I think they were called in those days, um, who, who were two guys who actually worked for my brother, and they set up their own company, um. and they ended up looking after uh, the business for World Wrestling Entertainment. Do I have to tell you the story about World Wrestling Federation and Entertainment? Well, well, is that regarding the whole issue with obviously yes, the World Wildlife Fund? And it was so, based around the UK, wasn't it? So I imagine you yes. were a, uh, a central so, part of it. So what happened was I received a, a, a cease and desist letter. And this came specifically to you, not to... Yeah, but, no, to me. Cease and, because they they had... This is when internet trading was just starting. It was just about getting underway. And they also knew about uh, QVC. So they, they came back and uh, I, I got a letter, a cease and desist letter from the lawyers of the World Wildlife Fund who claim to own the world, three letters, WWF. And we, are, we have to cease using those three letters um, as, as a brand, uh, under, whether it's for merchandising or licensing or for live events. They own the rights and we're contravening their brand because we, they didn't want to have the their supporters think that money that has been raised for World Wildlife Fund was actually supporting wrestlers. <laughs> it's quite <laughs> a leap, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I sent this over to, to Connecticut, to Vince, and Vincent basically said, tell them to get fucked because we're bigger than them. I said, hang on. <laughs> I said, you might think you're bigger than them, but you're not. Anyway... He he uh, he completely ignored uh, what I. He just ignored it basically. By then, QVC had received a letter from World Wildlife Fund, uh, pointing out their their contravention of the of the brand of their brand, which they said. So they pulled out of it. They didn't want to get themselves involved with any kind of legal shenanigans going on. Uh, they went. It went to court here. And he got thrown out by the judge. You can imagine the judge is not going to... Um, he basically, he's, he's not going to find in, in for the, a load of wrestlers against saving the world's pandas or something like that. So then Vince went to the European court, believe it or not, in The Hague to fight it. And he got thrown out there again. And that um, by then... Obviously, they realised they were on a loser, and all of a sudden, uh, a few months later, I don't know how much it cost him, millions and millions of dollars, I think, to kind of rebrand the whole uh, story into World Wrestling Entertainment. Yeah. And, and were you still with WWF at that point, um, or had you... Yes. So so then, yes. so in terms of your merchandise then, was it suddenly like you've got to throw everything away with a WWF logo on? I, I can't actually remember what happened. I don't. Th I think they, obviously, with it, anything, there's a, some kind of, uh, there's always a period yeah. when you're allowed. But it was completely out of my hands. I had yeah. nothing to do with it whatsoever. Uh, and I, at the time, I think the World, World Wrestling F uh, Federation was about to launch on... Um, uh, NASDAQ, which is the American stock market, uh, as a, so they couldn't have all this stuff going on, so yeah. they had to settle with the World, World Wildlife Fund, and that's what happened, otherwise it, it, there's two stock markets in, oh yes, there's two stock markets in America, one is NASDAQ and one is in the NYSE, New York Stock Exchange, it was one of those two, 
and they were launching as a public offering. You know, the shares at the time when they opened, I think it was six dollars. I think they're now eighty-nine or yeah, ninety. I think it's more now, ninety is something. It? Now. Yeah, it? yeah, it's yeah. the highest they've ever been. Amazing, yeah. isn't it? Amazing. Yeah. I could have had those for six. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have shares in WWE when they uh, when they floated? No, I was I was floated off. <laughs> <laughs> floated off. But anyway. Hopefully they don't hold anything against me, which I, if they did, I'm sure they would have taken me to court, but they didn't. No, good. So there was nothing untoward, you know, just one of those nasty things that happened. Right. As far as my business was concerned, it was a big hit because I had spent uh, a huge amount of my, uh, a huge amount of my life dedicated to that company. You know. And, and were you so obviously you you were involved in merchandise with other people when the oh, w, yeah. when the WWF took off did yeah. that become priority or absolutely you, and and that was your main business well I mean, we were still touring with all the major world artists but because that because also in that period World Wrestling Federation needed to tour outside America they were coming over it's a bit like today I think you know they need to tour and they were doing it they were doing three three four tours a year. You know, at the time, instead of just like one-offs here and there, they were touring. Yeah. So as far as my business was concerned, it was a big hit. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, because I was, you know, we're a we're not we're a company that takes things on, but we can't take. We're only small, but we do massive business. You yeah. Know? So we, you know, you are the one thing you have to concentrate to make it work. You know. Um, so that's what happened. The licensees, there was by then probably. 50 companies that had a license to produce product that still carried on you know they had to rebrand everything and all that kind of stuff but i don't think that wasn't the end of the world you know um but the the world the i think there was a, a period and i can't put a finger on the date but when the whole scene seemed to go down well, you probably remember it better than i can the whole scene seemed to and then, of course, Steve Austin. Yeah, so you think that, that 95. Yeah, and then. 94, 95. And then, the, you know, the, Steve Austin suddenly became the figurehead and the undertaker, and, uh, and suddenly, and then it took off again. You know, Shawn Michaels, you know, those guys. Yeah. Uh, and, and the girls, you know, was it China? I think I think was yeah. her name, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And one or two, one of the girls appeared nude in Playboy, and that was front page, you know, in all the newspapers. So suddenly, they exploded again you know i'm not sure what year all that stuff so uh so can you remember like who your big merchandise shifters were like obviously hulk hogan must be a, a well he a, was number he, one but no hulk, i mean the rock of course i've forgotten the rock haven't i absolutely yeah yeah <laughs> i forgot all about it well i would say in fact i'm now looking at a catalog from 19 was it yeah. yeah 98 yeah it was 98 99 where if you look at this catalog basically um we had everything we had tour jackets which were these kind of very very nice um pilot jackets which are still trendy today um we had uh Shawn michaels was like uh had his own page of half a dozen different items the rock of course was just just about becoming a superstar you know he was and and the rock merchandise was flying like crazy you know absolutely and then of course steve austin i think we were just a little bit before the 316 era if i remember it hadn't really hadn't really taken off that was 98 
98, 97. And suddenly the next, the next year, it's all about Steve Austin. Mega, mega. Oh, there, there was a great... In fact, I still see this stuff around now. D, degenerate... Degeneration X. Yeah. yeah. DX. So I, so I had that, uh, well, I didn't own that at first. No, Eventually, I got one expensive. when I was a bit older. It was very expensive. It I was. one up from a boot sale, though, so I'm sorry yeah. that you haven't got any uh, money <laughs> well, out of that. But. That, I mean, this was very ahead of its time because we reproduced American football shirts, which you hadn't, you couldn't buy over here. It just didn't exist. There was market. So, uh, so that that product in those days was about thirty pound, if yeah, I. Remember. Which was a lot of money. Yeah, so a lot of money. Probably the equivalent of about sixty pounds. Yeah, now, a lot so of money. And, that, um, and they were sellers, whatever. And my question is, I've got a question about this because obviously, yeah. on the front of a shirt it says "suck it." Yeah. On the back of a shirt it says "69." Yeah. Now I had, as a youngster, I had, I had, I had no idea of, of, of uh, connotations <laughs> yes. that that meant. Was yeah. did you ever were you ever greeted with any backlash for 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 that? Content? Yes, we, we did have a few angry mums ring up. You know, I just spent thirty five pound on this shirt and I have no idea what it can you t and it's disgusting my son wants to wear it when to he goes wear it to church, church. <laughs> oh, church. even worse yeah disgraceful because I remember like the non-school uniform days yeah. they were always my favourite you paid 50p yeah. and yeah. I got to wear one of my WWF is that right? shirts is yeah. that right okay. yeah. by then of course uh, 98, 99 there was a huge range of um, Steve Austin product and his his main logo his, his, main, his main saying I think was hell yeah yeah. If I remember rightly. Yeah. And he was flying, absolutely flying. You know, you know the range of anything with any product, whatever we produce with that brand on it, uh, followed probably by The Rock um, and D, Degenerate, uh, Degenerate X. Is that what they were called? Degeneration. Yeah, Degeneration yeah. X, yeah. Yeah. That was that was also quite a, an amazing range of product. The Undertaker was always a stable. He always sold. You know, we had uh, we produced little coffins. I don't know. I probably still <laughs> wow. <got one. laughs> probably still got one here somewhere. Um, and th th this is an interesting thing. This is this is something that we we produce as a it's a bit damaged now. But 1980, 2000 Insurrection tour. We, Produced a very very nice little. So that's when, uh, yeah. that's when they first started touring back over, right? Yeah, Regularly. yeah, that was one of the pay per view. That was yeah. kind of that was a pay per view, yeah. and that yeah. was kind of given away uh, as a um, um, a freebie, so you know, as a promotional item. Which yeah, it's got a merchandise in it. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Oh, that's cool. Um, so while we're on the subject of, do you know what? Martin. I've just seen open this program, and it's been signed by everybody. I had no idea. Wow! <laughs> you go around collecting it yourself. Rich, then. Well, I had no idea. Look, Steve, look, these guys: Paul Bearer, The Undertaker, China. Did Steve Austin sign it? Yes. Mankind. Wow! So for those of you, you obviously can't see this this office, but it's <laughs> yeah. just there's, there's, it's a shrine, isn't it? There's shrine. stuff literally everywhere. Everywhere. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's amazing. It's a it's a real part of wrestling history before our very eyes. Yeah, within um, touching distance of Jimmy Hart's <laughs> SummerSlam 92 trousers. Yeah, yeah. those. Yeah. Well, you've got to wear those. You got. I'll take a picture of you wearing them before you leave. Oh wow, that'd be great. Thank you. Uh, Goldberg. Who was Goldberg? Was that he Goldberg? Was, he was a ripoff of Goldberg. Oh, he was right. A, he was a skinny Goldberg. Yeah. <laughs> How can you remember all these guys? Well, we actually we actually met we met <laughs> Goldberg a few weeks ago, didn't we? And Did yeah. You? Yeah. He turned yeah. up at our trading school in Portsmouth, completely uh, no. unannounced. Yeah. Just, just unannounced, just walked in. You're, and, uh, you're joking. And, uh, yeah, he said he hated Goldberg at first when he first Gilbert. started doing it, but then ultimately he was happy that he was able to make some money off of his name. <laughs> so, there you go. Uh, this is a 
looking at this program, this is the Germany, yes, the strikes, the attitude period, which again was one of the great moments. Yeah. Um, and this is a, they did a, a tour in Germany, I think it was 93 or something like that, it caused absolute sensation. Um, Steve Austin was just, the rock was a nice young, man, man, yeah. young looking man in those days. Um, obviously Stone Cold, um, The Undertaker, all on the tour. And uh, they liked Germany because they loved the beer. Oh, okay. <laughs> Triple H, look at him. Yeah. What a nice looking fella. <laughs> He's trying to get his job back. <laughs> China, I remember her. God, do I remember her. So did you have a, so, so you had, you, you obviously, throughout the years, you've dealt with all these massive characters. Were there ever any troublemakers? Uh, there was a few, there was a few punch-ups in bars. And there was always, there's always somebody who could take them off. Like when they went to Israel, everybody who, they're real tough ex-army guys. They all used to think they were tougher than any of these. Well, there was, and then we used to have a few, um, I think in, in Germany, you know, when they, they got to, all got together in the barn, there was a lot of uh, aggravation between the, these guys themselves, not with, the, not with the audience or not with the fans, you know, but there was a lot of that. Just that beer. In and out. I do remember one horrible moment for me. There was, um, I think this was at Earl's Court, if I remember. I went backstage into the dressing room area. And there was this guy completely naked, his name I can't remember, but he was covered in head to toe with tattoos, every single part of his body. Perhaps you remember his name. But in those days, not like today, this was something which was, I was like stood there, I was completely, I could not believe it. This guy was completely and utterly, and I stood there, like looking with my mouth <laughs> Yeah, quite unusual, I think. Uh, it was in those yeah. days, and I can't remember his name, but you probably know who it was. Anyway, um, so here's a story about Yokozuna. I've told it a few times. Tell me if you heard it. Well, I heard it on the uh, on your speech, I think. Oh, but, okay. uh, but, you know, okay. this is All right, there, so, so. so we were in um, Paris, and they're all... The story is, half past eight in the morning, you have to be downstairs in the lobby of the hotel to get the bus to take you to the airport to the next gig, which happened to be in Bournemouth. Where the house Bournemouth? It's near us, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bournemouth. Had to go to Bournemouth. So um, I came down about half, you know, I came down about half past nine, and all the guys were gone except for one monster who was standing in the foyer looking completely, completely and utterly lost, and it was Yokozuma. I said, what in the hell are you doing here? Why aren't you on the bus? He said, they've gone without me. They've left me here. I said, well, what's happened? He said, I was sitting on the john, and uh, all of a sudden, the whole thing collapsed under me. <laughs> and there I am, lying in all this shit and piss. Am I allowed to swear on you? Oh, oh it's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, there I am, lying in all this shit and piss everywhere, and I can't get up. And the place is flooding. And <laughs> Of course, anybody knew who Yokozuna, whose name, I think his name was Henry or something like that. He played the part of... Rodney. 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 Oh, Rodney, that's Rodney, right. Yeah. He, part, he, he played the part of a sumo wrestler. I think he came out of the Bronx, but he probably weighed anything like four to five hundred pounds in those days. 
I believe. Huge, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. he was massive. He was, he was absolutely huge. And he's, he was a sumo wrestler, but he came out of the Bronx. So it was a bit of a long way from Japan. But <laughs> anyway, he's lying on, he said he was lying on the floor. He didn't know what to do anyway. So um, eventually he, he got himself downstairs. And of course, everybody's gone. They've left him. They didn't care. If, if you weren't there, too bad. Which is amazing, because he was quite a headliner in those <laughs> yeah, days, wasn't he? They noticed he wasn't there. Yeah. They, they left. He was standing there. I said, I said, well, you, I've got to get you to, to Bournemouth. Bournemouth? Where the hell's that? You know, I said, okay. So I said, I got him a, a flight to go to um, Southampton Airport. And I called a car company. And uh, by the way, this was not my job. It was not my responsibility to look after him. But anyway, um, I, I rang up a car company. And I said, there's a guy arriving at Southampton, Southampton Airport. Be there to pick him up and take him to Bournemouth. No problem. Okay, fine. What, of course, I didn't tell him that this guy weighs 500 pounds or 600 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> so you get, we got him to the airport. He gets on the plane, arrives in Southampton, and the car's in. And so the first thing that happened was, as he got to the door of the car, he pulls the door open, and the handle falls off in, in his hand. <laughs> and then he gets into the car, and the thing, this was a car, by the way, not a, not a van. Um, um, the, and the car is on the floor, you know, the suspension. <laughs> Couldn't take it, yeah. Well, eventually, after he had, you know, the guy, the owner of the company, ring up screaming and shouting. I said, well, whatever happens, you've got to get him to Bournemouth because he, he's do, due on stage, you know. <laughs> eventually, they got him there, yeah. probably, and, and of course, they had to make good the whole suspension <laughs> on that particular car. Yeah. And I think, unfortunately, Rodney died in a hotel room in Blackpool, I think, yeah, did, many yeah, years yeah. later. I'm yeah. not quite sure when, when that was either, but that was a good story, anyway. Yeah, right, excellent. Yeah. Um, so Mike, before I forget, I wanted to ask you, yeah. um, I, I mentioned it on the podcast last week, and Dean said uh, he'd mentioned it to you. Yeah. When I was a young boy, yeah. I went up to town with my grandparents, yeah. and I, I swear there was a WWF shop in right. London. Correct. That is Okay, great. Correct. You're nothing absolutely about right. it online. I, nothing. I can't remember what year it was, but we, we opened two stores. Um, one was in Watford, in, in, a, in the high street there, and... It was very, very successful. People were queuing like it was Christmas. It was a Christmas, temporary Christmas store. Uh, we filled it up. We created a, a whole area which was like any fashion shop or whatever. And the people were queuing to come in there. They buying like crazy, you know, Christmas time, and all the mums and dads were there with their money, buying their kids money. And um, we then I had the opportunity of a shop in Regent Street. I mean, Regent Street, you know, the prime um, prime shop shopping street in the world yeah. you know and it was a it was opposite hamley's i think it i was right you're yeah, right yeah. you didn't I, make it up well no, done. But it's not you mean, no one no one knows anything about it i think it, i think it was i think it was where austin there was a, a menswear shop called austin Rees. i think it was, it was on the corner okay uh, of Street. anyway same thing they we had a, a temporary i knew the i knew the guys who owned the property because the shop was empty before it had been changed hands or whatever and they they offered me this this shop for you know very little money because obviously if Regent Street you can imagine what it costs to set something yeah. else something up there and we set the store up and uh, it was going like crazy and all of a sudden the IRA decided to set up a bomb at the top of Oxford Street and that absolutely killed killed the whole of that Christmas. So it was that Christmas yeah. 92 maybe? 
It could have been the same year as SummerSlam. It could have been. Yeah, it could have been. So we oh, set the whole thing up. Yeah, and it was a tragedy. Obviously, I think some people got killed at the and all the the whole of Regent Street and but Oxford Street was completely closed off, and that was the end of it. That oh, period, it. yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't open what a few weeks then? Did I just happen to stumble across it for those few weeks? Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was. It was certainly pre-Christmas. Yeah. You know? Okay. And uh, we were looking forward to a bumper time. Mm -hmm. But those bastards set a bomb off. <laughs> yeah. well, I'm grateful for clearing that up. For yeah, me, absolutely. Absolutely yeah, right. I've been thinking about that for 25 you years. Haven't got, you haven't got something to bring back, have you? No, no, no. no I've lost my receipt. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure in those days, I don't know, how much were T-shirts in those days? Well, mate, I don't know. Let's have a look. I think, I think my Brett Hitman hard so glass is like six pounds. Yes. So this is from... Oh, it's, it's oh, a mic the elusive microphone I always wanted. Oh, Twenty I got pounds. SummerSlam '92. Spoiled. '92. Well, if you is this cable long enough? Yes. Now here's something which is very interesting. Uh, which there was very few of these. This is this is me when I used to be in the ring, obviously. Oh, you look healthy there, mate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, I used to be that. that is that what you wore when you're in the ring? Did it? That, that was uh, me. And of course, I now found a pair of. I actually only recently taken the popcorn out. <laughs> How did it taste? Look at that. The Hulk wow. Hogan popcorn. Wow. You know, that was uh, the Hulk Hogan popcorn. It's like a big dustbin, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I felt it was like the popcorn wasn't in it for, for years, you know. Oh, it was? Yeah. Did you say that to Wembley Stadium? That's what you <laughs> ate while you're watching, I guess. Yeah. Look, of course, popcorn... One side is the ultimate warrior. Oh, by the way, we've forgotten about the ultimate warrior. Oh, yeah, you can't forget about the warrior. Because yeah. he, again, was a, a phenomenal seller. Phenomenal seller. And what was he, what was he like when you... Uh, the ultimate warrior. I, I, quite truthfully, I can't remember. Um, but I think he was... I don't know, he seemed to be... If I remember, it was pretty kind of laid-back stuff. Yeah. Of course, there was one period where... Um, World Wrestling Federation went went through a hard time through the use or misuse of steroids, and a lot of the guys were kind of very very volatile to say the least, you know, uh, in that particular period of time, you know, and that and then uh, Vince obviously then put in this whole thing, you know, as far as he was concerned, if you're on drugs, you're out. Because that was quite a big thing. I think they were taken to court. Or there was a big, you know, this was before the use of steroids was kind of genuinely used, as we know, probably, you know, various, still going on, you know, with athletes and all that kind of stuff, as, whether it's steroids or some other enhancing drug. But look, a lot of those guys were on it, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, Martin, so you finished up with WF or WB? Yeah. What, in 2002, okay. 03? Um, that, that sort of period, maybe mid-2000s? Mid yes. Yeah, did, did you kind of think you were done with pro wrestling then? I was done. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was a shame, I was done, you know, and people still, uh, even when I wasn't involved, they still came to me, you know, because, you know, we wanted, they wanted to get part of it. Okay, so there we have it. What a, that was one hell of an interview. Wow, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, he like, he, he gave us so, so much more than you could ever ask Which for. Which is why we're going to split into two parts, because there's so much more still to come. Yeah. Yeah, so part thing. two is uh, we're going to cover a lot more ground. Um, interesting way he got he, he got finished up with WWE, wasn't it? Really that he yeah, flew all, all the way. way there. So I remember. So I, let's bring it back to me again. Yeah. I remember I used to work for a company called Entertain, which okay. was like a, you remember Jonglers? Yeah. So I used to sell comedy tables, right? And the, the club was going down the pan, 
right? We, we knew it was like, basically the club was closing down. We knew it was closing down. Um, but like my job position got made redundant. And uh, do you want to shut that window? So oh, sorry. Not... I'm fiddling with a staple I found. Just somewhere. moron. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we were getting made redundant. This job position was getting made redundant. And we all knew we were getting made redundant. And first of all, they took us to Birmingham, like because they had sites all around the country. They took us to Birmingham to give us notice of a redundancy. Right? So go all the way to Birmingham. And how crazy was this? Like, rather than just... To me, like... Oh, I don't know. I guess they have to follow procedure. Everyone has to find out at the same time. But everyone had to buy tickets to Birmingham. Like, so the company had to... The company which was going down the pan had to reimburse everyone's train tickets to Birmingham. Mine was like a hundred quid. <laughs> right? So we yeah. got all the way to Birmingham just to be told we're being made redundant. Right? And then two weeks later, when... So you have to give notice of being made redundant. And then two weeks later, we went to go to London to be like, yes, you have been officially made redundant. <laughs> All the way to London, oh, right? And, yeah. and it was just before Christmas. I didn't care because I had like my wrestling irons in the fire, right? But I had... Um, uh, but it was Christmas and they're like oh but you know you sold all these Christmas shows to everyone so we still expect you to come in and make sure all the parties are happy right and you'll be paid through to like the end of the year right I never went in again no <laughs> I didn't know no. I didn't I go, maybe I, t- like, I turned up a couple of times there was a couple of big group bookings where you know I just turned up to say hi but like I said to like the manager at the time I was like I'm not coming in like, do you know what I mean like what do you want me to do yeah like you know, and like as well, they'd stop the comedy which we were selling tickets to. Like my job was to sell. Will you stop making no, unnecessary I didn't do noises? That. Um, just get. You need to get new things on. I your need window. new wipers. Yeah. yeah. Um, and to clean your car as well. That was embarrassing when Martin stepped yeah. foot in your car. We went out for a lovely lunch, didn't we? And yeah, that was a bit embarrassing. We got pieces of wrestling ring, wrestling toys. You got outed, sort. didn't you, as, yeah. a, as a bootleg <laughs> counterfeit? It's not counterfeit at all. It's oh, the sorry, real deal. the real deal. Yeah. You were the man that Martin was he talking was about took it to court. <laughs> yeah, that was a great... Yeah. Um, but yeah, some great, great stories. And like, yeah. yeah, to go all the way to America just to be told, you know, like, oh, sorry, but... Yeah. <laughs> we won't be... Can you imagine the flight home as well? Yeah, right, Because right. that must have been like... That was his whole... Like, obviously it wasn't his whole business because of... Um, you know, he, he's obviously involved with all this other stuff. But he told you, like, you know, they're a small company and, like, wrestling was their main source for such a long time sure like can you imagine that being like you know Stressful, sitting back on yeah. that that flight home and that going through your mind like yeah oh oh we're uh, we've just passed a sign for Watford which is where I was born uh, coincidentally but it's also where Martin had his WWF shop so yeah. who knows so, it might be might still be there it's not still there no okay we did check thought we'd pop in <laughs> yeah. so um so yeah great great interview so thank you very much Martin Goldsmith and make sure you tune in next week because next week we're going to be talking um, we're going to be talking XWF for Jimmy Hart yeah that's great tell about that it's uh, the, uh, corporation Jimmy. federation yep. we're going to be talking about TNA Impact Wrestling yep um, and we're going to be talking about WOS <laughs> W what WSW yeah um, World of Sport Wrestling huge bombshells mm. on World of Sport Wrestling will there be a second season who's involved Who's the owners? Yeah, does we're gonna we're gonna oh, it's all Linsky, gonna be uh, does Linsky have a T-shirt? On yeah, World of Sport Wrestling. Does he sell any? <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna we've asked him all the questions and and we're gonna have the answers for you next week on another exciting and enthralling episode of the A Squared Circle Wrestling Podcast. So thank you very much. Can't I honestly can't express our gratitude enough to Martin Goldsmith for giving us so much of his time. Yeah, and Dean because um, obviously and Dean, Dean for setting it up as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, thank uh, you guys. 
so yeah cheers and we'll uh yeah we'll speak to you again next week where we're gonna have some more exciting tales to tell and as well i want to talk about doug williams next week as well okay because um, he obviously um he's still got a few more jobs to do but he had uh, his his first official retirement uh this past weekend at progress um yeah i'd like to just you know talk a bit, little bit about doug um i don't want people to think that we've forgotten about one of the true pillars one of, of the other pillars of, uh, of british wrestling, british wrestling. Yeah. alongside yourself of course andy mm-hmm. um, but thanks everyone for listening that's all right don't um, forget to follow me on twitter b-o-y-s-i-m-m-o-n-z and me at a quilden a q u i l d a n and we'll talk to you again i know we're going, oh, before mate, we go come on this episode is so like long uh no this is only this is only short and if there's one episode that you could sort of promote for us or through you know for people listening to their facebooks and twitters and stuff give this one a shout out okay because we think this was brilliant holla and, and it's the first time martin's ever done a long form interview regarding his time in the wrestling ever. yeah absolutely in professional wrestling yeah. yeah he's done them on his music careers and his, his concerts and everything else but never wrestling so we're very lucky and very grateful so uh yeah we'll talk to you next week all right bye <laughs>